Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Our current series is Everyday Saints, a study of the book of Ephesians, looking into what we have and who we are in Jesus. If, uh, if you want, you can grab your last, uh, bring your coffee in. And um, we made extra coffee this morning. I'm thinking we should call some of the people that slept in. What do you think? Like, put it over and just, like, wake, wake them up. I've always thought about doing that. Um, daylight savings time, as you know, is evil. It is a tool of Satan to disrupt the church. And um, I can't stand the daylight savings time. So, hate it. Hate it. All right. Uh, all right. So, um, turn towards, like, find groups of, like, four or five people. Might need to combine a couple tables. And spend two minutes here talking, which for some of you is like, oh man, really? I came here to listen, not to talk, right? Uh, so finally, groups of four or five, something like that. Two minutes talking, and you're going to tell the other people at your table what in your lifetime, so the last 20 years, the last 30 years, the last 70 years, whatever it is, in your lifetime, would have been at least the top one, potentially the top two favorite articles of clothing that you have owned. Keep it clean. All right, and uh, talk amongst yourselves here. So what's your favorite article of clothing that you have owned? All right? Join up with another table if you need to. You have two minutes. Go. So keep it clean, Dennis. <laughs> you should be moving on to the second person at least. Don't let one person dominate your table here. Let's give everybody a chance. All right, if one more person needs to jump in, go ahead and let them. All right. You guys got it? Get a chance to share? I heard overall shorts somewhere in there. Uh, do you still have them? Uh, was that like when you were four? Okay, good. <laughs> no, that was last year, man. What's wrong with that? Uh, uh, in, in many ways, you guys have probably heard the old saying that you are what you wear. There's some that that kind of uh, saying out there. And clothes identify people. You can tell a lot about somebody by what they wear, right? You go into a high school and you start observing students in a high school. And this may have happened way back in your day, however long ago that was, and it happens today. There are certain distinctive types of clothing and outfits that identify people and tell you what type of person that guy or gal is. Uh, if you go in and you see somebody all dressed in black, you know that, that guy's a little dark, right? There's a little, little bit of a personality thing that's coming out in that. Um, in my life, I've had a, a number of clothing things that I really enjoy. In fact, I still have some things that are ridiculously old, uh, and I hang on to you, much to my wife's um, uh, dismay. Um, I have a like a sweater slash long sleeve shirt thing that have I've had for longer than we've been married, which is uh, I think I've had this thing for 20 years at least. It's all ratted up on the edges, but I love that thing, and I love wearing it out in the woods when I'm hiking or camping. Um, my favorite things, though, have always been hats for me. I, I'm a big ball cap hat wearing kind of guy. Um, and when I was in high school, I don't even know how I came into possession of either of these hats. They just wound up with me, so I think it was destiny. 
I had a Florida State Seminoles hat. Don't really like Florida State, but I had that hat. And then I had an Ottawa Senators hat. Uh, they play hockey, in case you didn't know that. And, uh, and I found that hat somewhere. Um, and then I had a, an old Michigan State ball cap that I found in the bottom of Lake Michigan, um, literally, and <laughs> swimming one day, and wore that. That was awesome. Um, and those hats, you know, you know, look ball cap kind of wearing guy. That was me. Um, my mom threw away a number of those hats, and um, we haven't spoken since then, so you can pray for our relationship, but uh, I still bring that up with my mom in jest, kind of, and uh, <laughs> we have a lot of fun with that because I love those hats, and I've never found a hat to replace those ones. Like, I have a lot of hats, a lot of hats. My kids have friends over, and they're like, what are all these hats on the wall? And they're like, I don't know, my dad's weird, and, um, and that's kind of true, and I have a lot of hats, but I've never been able to replace that Florida State hat or that Ottawa Senators hat, um, even though I don't really care for Florida State or the Ottawa Senators. Um, but those were good hats, good hats. Clothes identify people. You are what you wear. What you wear, it just changes you sometimes even, right? You can, you can just have a rough day and you put that thing on, right? And some of you probably described that thing that you wear at the end of a long day, and it just changes things, right? It's so comfortable. It's so good. It just changes even like your personality a little bit in a weird way. It just changes your outlook on life maybe a little bit. It's, a, it's, a, it's almost a, it's just a crazy thing for us, right? You come home and you take off those uncomfortable work clothes and you just throw on that sweatpants and it's nasty and ratty and you've had it since college, but it just is nice, right? Clothing can change people. Last night, I went out with my sons and another boy and... Frank, who's back teaching our kids, and we went and played laser tag. And you can change an 11-year-old boy by strapping on laser tag gear. Like, they will be a normal 11-year-old boy, and you put this, like, outfit on them with the blinking lights and the receptors and the gun and all this kind of stuff, and they turn into a killer. Um, 11-year-old boys are ruthless, ruthless on Saturday nights at UltraZone. And I found that out. Um, you put an, a laser tag gear on an 11-year-old boy, and they become Rambo. And, it, like, I, laser tag is a cool idea, but I just can't stand it because I am this gigantic target for 11-year-old boys. And if you have a wall this high, an 11-year-old boy needs to do this, and you can't see them. A 39-year-old, six-foot-four guy needs to lay flat on his belly in order to be hid. And I just like it's just like this crowd of 11-year-old boys are just gunning for me, and I end up being William Defoe in, in Platoon, just you know dying in that post, dying, you know getting shot by multiple people and giving up. Or I'm like R2D2 in A New Hope, who's just silently walking along, and all of a sudden these Jawas are. I'm dead. I just can't. And like I don't under, even understand this whole thing. Like. An 11-year-old boy who plays laser tag more than once understands everything about laser tag. Like, they know exact location of the bases. They know how to shoot. They know the exact timing of when that vest is going to light back up. And I have no idea, right? You get shot, and so the thing shuts down for 10 seconds or something like that. And so I'm waiting there for that thing to light back up so I can shoot. And they're like, they know the timing. They just have this in, internal comprehension of it so that as soon as... I'm able to be hit again. There's four other 11-year-old boys shooting me again. And so my vest is almost permanently off. It's ridiculously frustrating. And you can put this outfit on an 11-year-old boy, and it changes them into an assassin. Hopefully it changes them. Hopefully that wasn't the identity beforehand. Maybe it will be the identity going into the future. But that's what happens. At times, 
we need to change our identity. At times we need to change our clothing. My hats needed to be changed. My mother could see that more clearly than I could, perhaps, and so she took the initiative, much to the uh, detriment of our relationship for a time. But at my core, I was not a 28-year-old video game addict living in the basement of a fraternity house, and so I needed to change that hat. It did not need to be worn by me anymore. Things needed to change. And there are some of you who just probably need to get rid of that shirt. It's, it's too late. It just doesn't fit you anymore, right? Or those, that pair of pants, it, they stink, and that smell is never coming out of them. So just get rid of it. It's time to change, right? It's time to change. We, we dress every morning according to some measure of our personality, right? If you put on scrubs, we know that you are a doctor or a nurse or a very lazy person, right? If you wear a tool belt, we know that you probably work in construction or home repair or you're a member of the village people, right? (laughs) If you put on a cape and a mask, we know that you're either a superhero, a pro wrestler, or you're attending an 18th century ball in Marseille, right? We just know these things by what you wear. If you put on an obscure Doctor Who t-shirt and blue jeans, we know that you're an Epic employee, right? We just know these things. (laughs) Oh, come on, come on, I'm allowed to do that, right? Come on. You go to Epic, and the proportion of people who wear Doctor Who t-shirts, and I don't even know what Doctor Who is hardly, but the proportion of people that wear Doctor Who t-shirts is ridiculous there. Um, you can learn almost everything you need to know by people's t- about that show by people's t-shirts just wandering through the lunchroom and all of a sudden have an encyclopedic knowledge of Doctor Who and all its quirks um, from that lunchroom. But we just know your clothes identify you. Every day you dress yourself, hopefully, uh, physically, and what we're going to see in Ephesians chapter 4 is that every day you dress yourself spiritually. Now that sounds weird, right? That sounds very like pastor-speak kind of stuff here. And we're going to get into what that means. But you put on something every day. You woke up this morning, and hopefully, I mean, maybe you're a little messed up because of the time, so you just ran here and whatever you're sleeping in. It doesn't look like anybody did that. I'm glad to see. But hopefully you, you know, threw on a pair of blue jeans, you threw on a shirt, you ran a comb through your hair, and you got here, right? You put on something. And you didn't probably think too much about it, but even the choice of what you were what, when you bought it or how you wound up with that outfit, it identifies you. It says something about you. I mean, you, you, some of you have been judging me by what I wear, right? We just naturally do that. I know what that kind of guy is by what he wears, what he looks like. Every day, you dress yourself physically. And I'm going to argue that every day, you dress yourself spiritually. And this is going to sound a little mystical here for a second, but I want to get into what Paul's going to instruct us on. You either put on Christ or you put on sin. Now that sounds, that sounds a little weird, doesn't it? But every day, you do that. Now sin is not just, as we're going to talk about this, I've got to talk about sin if we're going to talk about this passage. We've been walking through Ephesians, we've seen this great story of God and his redemption, and, and Paul's going to talk about sin. And you, We hear sin, we're like, oh, I don't like to talk about those things, those are that's uncomfortable, right? Sin is not just the bad things that you got your finger, somebody shook their finger at you when you were four and you have that scar and that image. That's not, sin is not just the bad things we do. I'm going to argue in this passage and throughout Scripture, sin is building your identity on anything other than Christ. Okay? So as we think about sin, 
as we think about this word that is used in churches and pastors use it and religions use it, all this kind of stuff, as we talk about sin, we're not just talking about naughty things. Okay? We're talking about we're meant to be like Christ. We're meant to have Christ at the center of who we are. And what we do is we exchange Jesus for something else. And that's the nature of what sin is. is taking what Christ is supposed to be at the center of our life and worshiping and living for something else. Money, sex, power, jobs, a relationship. We replace those types of things, where we put those things where Christ is supposed to be, and that's the nature of what sin is. Okay? So I hope that gives you a bigger view, on one sense, of what sin is. As we look into this passage, we've got to think that way, because every day, you either put on Christ, or you put on sin. You wear that. It's the language that Paul is going to use in this passage. So what I want to do is, is read this passage, but I want to understand where Paul has taken us. Paul has said throughout the first three and a half chapters of Ephesians so far where we've been that Jesus has saved us. Jesus has saved us from ourselves and our own wickedness. Jesus has saved us from the just, right wrath of God. Jesus has bought us. He has reconciled us to God. He has given us new life. He has given us mission. He's called us to live for him. He's brought us together into this community called the church to do good works. And Paul says in, uh, in, in chapter 4, verse 1, that because of what Jesus has done, we must live a life worthy of the calling. God has called us in Christ to himself. He's reconciled us, brought us into his family, adopted us, made us right. God has brought us into this, done this great work through Jesus and his work on the cross, brought us together as a family, as a church. God has done this work, and now Paul says, Live a worthy life, in chapter 4, verse 1. Live a life that matches that. It's consistent. Paul, what, consistency is what Paul is calling for here. He's saying, here's what God has done. Here's the great work that he has done. So live a life worthy of that. Live a life consistent with that. You've seen people who dress differently than who they are, and it's almost uncomfortable sometimes, right, when they're trying too hard people acting out one lifestyle, well, it's painfully obvious that there's something different at their core. Vanilla Ice would be the perfect example of this, right? It's painful now to go back and watch that music that I thought was amazing in high school because Vanilla Ice just didn't didn't get it, really, right? If I showed up someday in a gymnastics outfit, all right, the the pants and the the, the T-shirt, and all that, and the little hand dealies, right? Like, that's painful for you, isn't it? To imagine me. Like, some of you are trying to, like, that just doesn't fit, right? I am not a gymnast. I was not built or conditioned or anything like that to be a gymnast. Pull-ups and all that kind of stuff, that does not fit me. Some people are, and it's amazing to watch that, but when somebody who's not a gymnast tries to do what gymnasts do and wear what gymnasts do wear, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable. It doesn't fit. There's this, there's this inconsistency about the dress. It just doesn't match. It's not who I am, right? I wear a pair of blue jeans and a plaid shirt. That's who I am, and it fits, right? And everybody's kind of comfortable with that, hopefully. Or you need to get comfortable with that because that's what I wear all the time. <laughs> so, consistency. Now, here's what Paul's going to say. Look at chapter 4, right? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Okay? Paul has said this, live a life worthy of the calling. Live a life worthy of what God has done. Paul says this, now this I say and testify in the Lord. Okay, there's this emphatic 
phrase at the beginning. Paul's like, let's get down to it, okay? Here's what we're talking about. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now we're just going to cover those few sections there. But you see that put off and put on. And those verbs there that Paul uses are verbs that literally are saying wear or don't wear. Paul's saying don't wear your old self, wear your new self. Jesus has done a work in your hearts and in your minds and in you, so wear it. Wear it. Put it on. That's your identity is what Paul is saying. You are not what you used to be if your faith is in Jesus. You have been changed. So Paul's going to say, live a consistent life. Be where what you are. Okay? Now, as you read this, in the first part especially, you kind of like get the sense of what's so bad about the Gentiles. I mean, Paul, you look at the first few verses there, and Paul's just, his uh, language is not very um, constructive or, um, or, 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 or um, uh, encouraging towards the Gentiles here, right? You see it uh, in verse 17, the futility of their minds. Verse 18, they are darkened, alienated, ignorant, hard-hearted, callous, They've given up. Greedy. All right, this is not a list that is, is, is encouraging to someone. If I did use this to describe you, you would not feel uh, built up in any way, right? Paul has some very hard things to say about the Gentiles. And the question is, what's so bad about the Gentiles? Paul's writing here to a bunch of non-Jewish Christians and is referencing the futility of their past life. Before Christ did this work, what were you like? And this is what Paul says, and he's given the harsh truth. Okay? Here's the harsh truth, Paul says. Your, your minds were centered on the wrong thing. It was a futile life. Your, your futile thinking. You were thinking of the wrong thing. You were dark in your understanding. You couldn't see the light of Christ and how that shows up everything and gives meaning and understanding to everything in this world. It was dark for you, verse 18, Paul says. You were alienated from the life of God. You were far from God. You weren't brought into this community, into this life of God. And you were ignorant he didn't understand what was going on. He couldn't understand the, the, how the gospel frames and shapes everything, how Jesus gives meaning to everything. Your hearts were hard. You were opposed to God, Paul says, and callous. There wasn't the softness towards others and towards what God is doing. It was a, a callousness, and you've given up to sensuality and greed, seeking your own things. Paul's writing to a bunch of Gentile Christians. He's saying all of that was futile. You can't act like that anymore, Paul says. That's, that's in the past. That's what you used to wear. That was what you wore back in junior high when you didn't know better, Paul says. Now you're enlightened. God has woken you up. So don't wear that junk anymore. Don't wear that stuff, Paul says. It's inconsistent with a follower of Jesus. So you might ask what's so futile about their thinking here. Well, the way you think is the way you live in many ways. Your behavior is a result of your thinking. If somehow my mind goes and I snap and I all of a sudden think that I am Bruce Lee, 
I'll act differently than I act, right? You've all seen the movies of someone that thinks they're Elvis Presley or thinks they're Jesus Christ and they wind up in a mental institution. If, if you think something differently, you'll act differently. And Paul points towards our minds. What do you know? Who, what do you know about who you are in Christ? What do you know about your identity in Christ? If you think the world revolves around you, you will act in a certain way. And Paul mentions things like sensuality and greed around those things. If you think it's all about you, which is what we did before Christ woke us up, if you think it's all about you, you'll act a certain way, won't you? Life is about you, so other people exist to serve you, to give you comfort, to give you joy and satisfaction and happiness. They exist for your glory. Your job exists for you. Your family exists for you. Your possessions, your bank account, all of that stuff exists for you. Paul says, you're greedy. You're greedy is what happens. If you think the world revolves around you, it will impact your life's decisions. However, what Paul says is that needs to change. You need to put that off because that's in the past. The world does not revolve around you. And Paul says we need to put something else on. Paul says, the the Gentiles, what you were like in your past, you were darkened in your understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them. You didn't understand how the gospel shapes and centers uh, everything for us. It was due to the hardness of your heart. You were opposed to God, and you become callous and given yourself over to sensuality, greed, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Darkened means you couldn't see clearly. Alienated means you were far from God. Hard-hearted means you were standing opposed to God's work. Callous means that you were insensitive. You were missing the big picture of God's rule and work in this world. And there's a continual lust for more, whether that's sexual, material, positional, and power, or tension, or respect. And this lust for more, as the NIV says in this passage, it gradually leads to a loss of sensitivity, a callousness, both toward God and toward other people as we indulge every whim and fancy in an effort to satisfy the gaping wounds in our life. Paul says this is what happens. As we think the world's about us, we don't understand how God has shaped everything. And God is doing this great work in Christ, and it, it creates this callous towards us. Um, if you've ever worked with your hands, you ever had to chop wood for a summer, or you ever started working out and doing a lot of pull-ups, you develop these callus, right, so that your hands can bear the constant friction towards that. Um, it's, it's, it's not a bad thing in that sense, but if your goal is sensitivity, calluses are not good, right? And Paul says your hearts, your, your life has become a callus. You're not understanding who God is and what God is doing in this world. So we have these longings and we have this desire for more, this center, this greed, this sensuality that Paul says. We want more, but we don't know what it is we want. So we try to fill it with all sorts of things. But it ends up in a callousness, a hollow feeling. It ends up being band-aids for a serious Head trauma. We, we know that there's something wrong, but we don't know the solution. But God, who is rich in mercy, if you remember chapter 2, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. 
So you see what's happened? Is, is here's this trajectory, here's this position without Christ, and God made us alive. God, through Jesus' blood, through Jesus' resurrection, woke us up, gave us new life. Said it's not about you, it's about me, and your joy is found in me. Not in this stuff, not in this greed, not in this sensuality, not in this lust. And so people are hungrily pursuing something in life, but we're often like chickens with their heads lopped off, running around desperately trying to get something that we can never attain. And what results is not arrival at something we don't know, it's what results is enslavement. This, this lust, this greed that Paul references here in verse 19, we think it's going to fit that hole, but it doesn't. So we may center our lives around our career, and we become enslaved to that career. Enslaved to the, the will of our boss and pleasing our boss. We think that this will give us meaning and satisfaction and joy, and it doesn't. Work is good. Work is really good. Work is commanded. We are to work hard as for the Lord. But enslavement to our careers or our jobs is not good. We think that our collections, our stuff, will satisfy us and bring us joy. And it doesn't. It enslaves us, doesn't it? We think that just having more will give us this peace in life. So we buy more and more and more and more stuff. And we ache in our souls and we go to the store. It enslaves us. It's not freeing, is it? It enslaves us. This greed, this lust, this hunger for more. We think that if we can just look right, just get that image right, it will free us. It will, give us, it will empower us. It will give us the respect and the love that we so desperately long. So we are enslaved to the gym and to diets and to pills. Sin doesn't wake us up. Sin enslaves us. When we put anything at the center of our life other than Jesus, the result is not freedom, which we thought we were going to get. The result is enslavement. Enslavement. We're darkened. We're alienated. We're ignorant. So if this hard-hearted, ignorant, dark, indulgent lifestyle is not going to do it for us, what is? If the former way of life with its continual lust for more and hyper-indulgent lifestyle doesn't work, what do we do? And here's what Paul says in verse 20. That is not the way you learned Christ. I love that. You didn't learn Jesus that way. You didn't learn that it's Jesus and then you can center your life around anything else and Jesus is just a nice band-aid for that little wound. That's not the way you learned Christ. And he has to add, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him. You guys heard this, right? You understand it's about Jesus, not about you. Here's what Paul says at the end of verse 21. The truth is in Jesus. It's a key part right there. The truth is in Jesus. You're searching for this. You're greedy for this. You're lustful for this. But the truth, Paul says, is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of the life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul says, those desires that you had deceived you. You thought if you could just get this, if you could just look like this, if you could just achieve this, that it would give you everything you wanted in life, and that was deceptive, because it didn't. 
When you got to that level, you just wanted more. It's enslaving, and it grips you and traps you. And only Jesus will free you from that, Paul says. The truth is in Jesus. You think the truth is in more. The truth is in Jesus. Jesus is what you need. And so here's the clothing metaphor that Paul says. He says, take off that old way of life with its continual lust for more and put on Christ with his righteousness and holiness. Here's what the old way offers, enslavement, lust, corruption, and deceit. That's our old clothing. Paul says, take those out back, put them in the burn barrel, dump some gasoline on it, and drop a match in there. And here's what Christ's way offers, righteousness, holiness. This is not something you can do in and of yourself. This is something that Jesus is, and we put him on. Put that on, Paul says. Wear that. Wear that. Well, how do we get there? First, there's a, there's a knowledge of the gospel, an understanding that the truth is in Jesus. Jesus is what our lives are centered around. We need to understand that. We need to learn that. Dwell on that. Meditate on that. Plaster that in our minds. Paul says it in verse 23. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Center your thoughts around the gospel. There are so many times when life is difficult, in my mind, I start to get greedy for something else. If I just had a better car, house, more hats, whatever it might be, right? If I just had that, then I would be happy. My wife gets a little nervous when I say something like that because she sees my heart in there, right? If I just had that, if I just had that, I would be more happy. That's what I think. And what we need to do is renew our minds, change our thinking on that one, wear some different clothes, for crying out loud. That will not make you happy, Paul says. That will not give you what you're searching for. The truth is in Jesus. What you want is in Jesus. So change your thinking. Have a knowledge of the gospel that impacts your lust and impacts your greed and impacts your thinking. And when you are longing for one thing, and you, under, you need to understand, be renewed in your thinking, that that thing will not satisfy you, that only Jesus will. Now these things may be good things, right? Jobs are good things. Cars, for the most part, are good things. Clothing is a good thing. All these things are good, but they're not what we're to be centered around. And so what we need to do is change that thinking. Appreciate them for what they are, gifts from God. Enjoy them. Work hard at them. Share them. Be generous with them. But they're not Jesus. The truth is in Jesus. What's at the center, what must be at the center of our lives if we're to find what Paul's pushing us towards is Jesus so get rid of that, Paul says. Get rid of that enslaving, lustful, corrupt, deceitful, old clothing and put on Christ. And it happens in your head first. It happens in your mind. As your mind is renewed to center around Jesus. And then have a new attitude. Let that mind impact your attitude. It's not a continual lust for more, but a contentment with the righteousness offered in Jesus. Jesus is righteous and holy. By faith, you're united to him, dead to sin, alive to God. And Paul says, live like it. Enjoy that. Let, that. let that rest on your mind. Understand that in Christ, you are righteous and holy. Not because of anything you've done, because we know what that looks like. It's ugly. It needs to be put off. But Christ, the righteous one, the holy one, God himself in flesh, who came and lived perfectly obedient, 
died our death, gave us his righteousness. That's what you are in Christ. God looks at you, and he doesn't see that old, corrupt, lustful, greedy way of life. God looks at you, and he sees Christ, righteousness, and holiness. And Paul says, so live like it. Understand that you don't have to be enslaved to all that old stuff anymore. Renew your minds around the gospel and understand that it is Christ that we're putting on and living like. Some of you most likely think that the Christian life is oppressive. It's a denial of pleasure created by people who just don't know how to have a good time. Right? It's one of the critiques that's leveled against Christianity. But when we understand that sin enslaves and only Christ truly brings freedom, it changes that. Christianity is not just a denial. Christianity is our hope. Because we know that all this other stuff is what really enslaves. We know that this stuff, this life, this old life, that stuff that we are to put off, it didn't complete us. It didn't make us happy. It enslaved us. Is the grass really greener, or is that lifestyle of indulgence futile and enslaving? Have you found joy in indulgence? The invitation to know and follow Christ is not strictly an invitation to deny everything pleasurable. Okay? Sometimes we get that idea, and there's certainly a call to take up our cross and follow Jesus, and it results in some difficult things at times. I don't want to gloss over that. But the invitation to know and follow Christ is an invitation to freedom from the things that our culture enslaves us around. Jesus is freedom. The truth is in Jesus. It's an invitation to live for something truly meaningful and meaning-giving rather than a continual lust for more of what you'll ultimately never have. And even if you do achieve it, you'll one day have to give up. The temptation is to go back because some of that stuff is very attractive and appears so satisfying, and oftentimes it gives us some momentary pleasure. But when we center our lives around it, it leaves us hollow and deceiving and angry and bitter people. There's a story told of a beggar on the streets who lived near the king's palace and begged near the gates. One day he saw a proclamation that was posted outside the palace gate, The king was giving a great dinner, and anyone dressed in royal garments was invited to the party. Come to the dinner, it said. Well, the beggar went on his way, dejected. He looked at the rags that he was wearing, and he sighed. Surely only kings and their families wore royal robes, he thought. I'll never go to the dinner. And slowly an idea crept into his mind. The, the authority of it, the, the, the audacity of it made him tremble a bit. Would he dare do something like this? He decided to go for it. He made his way back to the palace. He approached the guard at the gate and he said, Please, sir, I would like to speak to the king. The guard replied, Wait here. And in a few minutes he was back and he was brought before the king. The guard said, His majesty will see you. And the beggar came before the throne of the king. The king said, You're, You wish to see me. The beggar, in meek and humble tones, said, Yes, your majesty, I wanted so much to attend the banquet that you advertise, but I have no royal robes to wear. Please, sir, if I may be so bold, may I have one of your old garments that I, too, may attend the banquet. The beggar shook so hard in front of the king that he could not see the faint smile that was on the king's face. 
And the good, gracious king said, You have been wise in coming to me. He called to his son, the young prince, Take this man to your room and array him in some of your clothes. And the prince did as he was told, and soon the beggar was standing before a mirror clothed in garments that he had never dared hope for. And the prince said, You are now eligible to attend my father's banquet tomorrow night. But even more important, you will never need any other clothes. These garments will last forever. The beggar dropped to his knees. Oh, thank you, he cried in gratitude. But as he started to leave, he looked back at his pile of dirty rags on the floor and hesitated. What if the prince was wrong? Doubt crept into his mind. What if he would need his old clothes again? So quickly he gathered them up, carried them outside. Well, the banquet was far greater than he had ever imagined, anything he had ever experienced, that he could hardly enjoy himself as he should. He, he had made a small bundle of his old rags, and it kept falling off his lap. He was hardly able to eat because he was trying to keep that next to him. The food was passed quickly, and much celebration occurred. But he missed some of it, some of the greatest delicacies, because he was trying to hold on to that bundle. Time proved that the prince was right. The clothes that he had been given lasted forever. They are of great quality. And still the poor beggar grew fonder and fonder, though, of his old rags. As time passed, people seemed to forget the royal robes he was wearing. They saw only the little bundle of filthy rags that he clung to wherever he went. They even spoke of him as the old man with the rags. And one day as he lay dying, the king visited him. The beggar saw the sad look on the king's face when he looked at the small bundle of rags at his bedside. And suddenly the beggar remembered the prince's words and he realized that his bundle of rags had cost him a lifetime of true royalty. And he wept bitterly at his folly. And the king wept with him. This is many of us, is it not? We have this greed, this lust. We hang on to it. And the king, through his prince, through his son, Jesus Christ, has given us royal robes that will last forever. Put those on, he says. Wear them. Live in this freedom. And we hang on to those rags. We're like Gollum, aren't we? We find this thing that doesn't give us real joy. It enslaves us. And we live our lives for that thing, holding on to that, and sometimes growing more and more corrupt around that thing. The key here is to find and know Christ as infinitely more satisfying. The key is to look at what you have been given. Understand your identity. You are no longer a beggar on the streets You have been brought into the royal family. You have been brought into this community, into this banquet. Live like it. Enjoy it. The clothes that the prince offers are beautiful and lasting and satisfying. Some of you need to fight hard against sin in your life, against greed. And the key is coming to Christ and realizing the righteousness and holiness and power that he gives. 
Some of you need to come to Jesus for the first time. This lifestyle isn't doing it for you. You're broken and you need Jesus. And the king has royal robes for you. So how are you doing? Is there consistency in your life? What are you wearing? Is it dirty, sin-ridden, ugly clothes? Is it time for a change? It's not in your power. You need Jesus' pure garments. So learn to run to the gospel, run to the cross daily. Understand in your mind the clothing that you have been given. Find Christ-centered, sin-fighting, gospel-celebrating community. Find people to confess sin freely with and dwell on mercy freely with. and Abundantly dwell on mercy. Find people in your life that point you towards the clothes you need to be wearing. And For some of us, we just need to change our clothes. That is not what we were meant to be. You, what you might want to do, and I would encourage you to do this, is go back, maybe this afternoon, maybe tomorrow sometime, and read the first couple chapters of Ephesians. And grasp that big picture of what God has done for you. God in Christ loves you. Welcomes you into his family. Gives you this new garment. We live like it. We repent of sin. We get rid of that old junk. And we find freedom in Christ. We celebrate that here as a community. We we love what Jesus has done. And so we sing about what Jesus has done. We sing songs of repentance and we sing songs that, of the cross that remind us of the salvation that is found in Jesus. And so as we move forward for the next 10-15 minutes here, we'll sing a, uh, two or three songs about the cross and celebrate what God has done in Christ Jesus. Every week we take communion here. We, re, we uh, put out the, the cup and the, the bread and remember that God in Christ has, died, uh, Christ has died for us. And so as we take the bread, it reminds us of Jesus' body, which was broken for us. And as we dip it into the cup, it reminds us of Jesus' blood, which was shed for us. And as we do that as a community, we celebrate the new clothing that we have, this new life that we have, the righteousness and holiness that is Christ that has been gifted to us. We'll sing. We'll take communion. We'll celebrate our new clothes. At, at DR here, we also, uh, we also give in response. And we understand that God has given us much. And so we give towards his work. And so we'll pass uh, a little basket around. And some of us will give. Some of us give online. Some of us you know, give monthly. There's no pressure to give or anything like that. It's just part of our worship. It's part of what we do here. And we love the work of God. And so we want to see Christ, uh, Christ exalted in that way as well in our, in our generosity. So let me have you guys stand. And let me have you guys uh, pray with me. We'll have our band come up here, play a few more songs. We'll sing, we'll celebrate, we'll enjoy that banquet that we've been invited to in our royal robes. And we'll thank God for what he has done in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you are a good God. We love you and we thank you for how you have outfitted us in Christ. Lord, our, um, our, our thinking and our life was futile. We were deceived. We were darkened and we were alienated. We were far from you. And so often we return to that. God, help us to enjoy the new clothing that we have. Help us to enjoy the righteousness and holiness that we have in Christ, the freedom and the forgiveness, the acceptance and the love, the grace and the mercy that we have from you through Christ.
God, may that impact our thinking. May that impact our minds. May our minds be renewed in that. And when we turn our thoughts towards those things that enslave us, may we quickly remember what we're wearing. May we quickly remember how everything we have is in Christ, that the truth is in Jesus. We love you, God, and we thank you for the work that you have done in Christ Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.